This is the Power of Genetics podcast, the podcast designed to help visionary practitioners build a more successful practice, transform more lives, and lead their patients into the future of personalized health. In each episode, I'll interview successful practitioners and leading thought leaders who will share their insights and expertise to help you prepare your practice for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe, and now let's get into today's episode. Today is a very special day for me because not only do I get to interview and speak to Dr. Ruth DeBus, but Dr. Ruth DeBus was in fact and is in fact my first and most important mentor. So welcome, Ruth, to the Power of Genetics podcast. Well, thank you. I'm flattered to be here. This is going to be fun. So I was just chatting to Ruth off air, as we often do before we start these podcasts, and Ruth and I have known each other for almost 20 years now. I think it probably is 20 years, actually. It's probably like 2002, mm-hmm. 2003 that we've met. So we have spent a lot of time working and talking together, and actually... I realized when I was preparing for the podcast that even though I knew all the amazing accomplishments that you have, and I'm going to ask you to tell a little bit about that now, I actually didn't know your why, why, I know your why now, but not then, and also your how, like how did you get here? So before we get into your story on your journey, which I think most people probably don't know because I know you're quite a private person, you don't stand on stages around talking about that journey. Just a little bit about where you are now. I prefer that to reading bios. It's a little bit about who are you now, and then we're going to go right back to the beginning. So who is Dr. Tabas? Yeah, I would say I'm absolutely passionate about health. I really think I want to help change the conversation from disease to health. And I'm in a great position right now. I'm within back into academic medicine and I'm really having an opportunity to teach next generation physicians about some of the critical areas that are just not normally part of the curriculum. And that's nutrition and genomics and epigenetics. So we'll be talking a little bit about that, but it's just, it's wonderful to see these young physicians to be come in and they want to know about functional medicine, lifestyle medicine, and it's just not there in the curriculum. So this has been a wonderful opportunity to develop curriculum that will address these very important gaps in physician training and healthcare training in general. We can't do it all at once, so we've started with physician training so that they can appreciate lifestyle medicine and the importance of nutrition and genomics and epigenetics and try to get them to see, too, the real value of a collaborative care team so that you're getting expertise from different venues. And it's not asking the poor physician to to handle all of it. You get some really competent people surrounding you. So one of the things that we plan to do, and we feel like we have a really good foundation built for next generation physicians, is to expand it to healthcare professionals in general. So this is the work you're doing now. And I do want to talk about it because the one thing about grief that I've come to understand is that courage and the fearlessness of taking on things that no one else has been able to succeed at and the ability to bring functional medicine into um, curriculum of physicians is really pretty extraordinary. And for me, it seems to kind of full circle for you, but I really want to go back to the beginning of the circle because 
One thing Ruth doesn't do, and I know this from many years of working with her, is she doesn't do self-promotion at all well. So I can see that I'm going to have to do a little bit of that. So I want to tell you that, yeah, she's terrible at it. Absolutely awful. So I want to tell you that that Ruth is probably the first ever, and I think I can safely say this, the first ever PhD RD, the first ever dietitian with expertise in nutrigenomics. So I'm going to go back. 25 years in my journey and I, I make you a little understand a little bit about why Ruth was my chosen mentor and I kind of tracked her down I really, really did actually kind of literally and figuratively I did <laughs> so when I was uh, starting my journey in, in nutrigenomics I found this book the first genetics and nutrition connection now Jeff Bland had written a book called um, genetic nutritioneering in 1998 but other than that book, there were no other books in, in nutrigenomics until I discovered Ruth's book, which was Genetics and Nutrition Connection. And you know when you find a book that is on a topic that you didn't believe anyone else actually knew about? So I ordered it from South Africa, it took forever to get to South Africa, and I read it cover to cover to cover to cover because I was like so excited. And this Dr. Ruth the Bus was like my absolute hero. So off I go to move to Boulder, Colorado, and... I managed to get Ruth's phone number and I phone her in Tallahassee, Florida. And like, Ruth is also like the kindest and most generous and humble person. So she actually takes my call and I say, hi, you know, I'm a dietitian from South Africa and I'm passionate about nutrigenomics. I've been working in the space for a few years and I've read your book. And I think what I really said to you was like, I really want you to come to Boulder, which is where I'm living. And I really want to write a book with you. And you were, you were so nice. You were like, very nice to meet you. That's very nice. But I'm, I'm afraid I'm already writing a book for the American Dietetics Association. So I won't be able to work with you. And, and I don't take no easily, do I? No. <laughs> so what happened, Ruth? <laughs> You sick Jan on me. That really helped. <laughs> I said Jan and you. And the next week, who was, who was, she's, she's a powerhouse. The next thing, Ruth was in Boulder having a meeting with me where I was presenting my idea for a book. And we landed up writing a book together. It's not just your genes. I don't think you ever did get to write the ADA book. So lucky me and, and sorry for the ADA, right? Yeah. Um, and we landed up working together at Sarona which was the first kind of proper nutrigenomics company and have been working together for the last 20 years. But that's why, I, I mean, Ruth really made me believe that there was such a thing as an RD PhD. And in fact, I remember saying to Ruth, do you think I should do a PhD? And you're like, not really. You don't really need it. You already got the knowledge. The only thing PhDs do is they open doors. And of course, that was probably the best advice I got. And, and it was absolutely true. But Ruth, let's talk about you and not me. How does someone become an RD PhD in a time of nutrition and medicine where the concept of putting nutrition and genetics together is completely and totally unheard of? What came first for you? Was it what was the egg and what was the chicken? Oh, let me back up just a little. I actually got into all of this because I loved cooking and eating. I mean, I was that naive. You know, I said, Oh wow, this is really the way to help. Um, understood that food was really what food was to the human organism, that this was the obvious path to health and that we needed to be proactive about our health. Well, you can imagine there was just nothing out there. No one was talking about that. It was all about go to medical school, treat disease, 
And I thought, this doesn't make a lot of sense. So I went off to graduate school in nutrition and really good, got a good foundation in the science of nutrition and its clinical applications. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that experience. But in the process, I realized that something that's really, really obvious now is that genes code for all the proteins needed for metabolism and essentially do all the work of the cells that end up giving us our functional potential. So it made so much sense that if you don't feed the organism appropriately, it's never going to get to its genetic potential. And what a shame that would be. So I just kept along on that track and I was happy doing what I was doing. But as I got more and more into it, I did a master's PhD program in nutrition. And then in the process, I realized that it's all about the genes, that they code for these proteins that are absolutely essential and that the human can't make all the nutrients that we need. And if we don't pay attention to the food choices that we make day after day after day, there was no way we were ever going to optimize our genetic potential or even enjoy our life because we were going to fall down into disease. And so that got me into learning about genetics and ultimately going for a um, PhD in genetics. And because I came from a home ec background, nutrition was considered home ec and not a serious science at that point that I couldn't possibly know anything. So I had to do a master's degree in genetics and then a, before I could get to the PhD. And so I'm a very patient person and I loved the whole process of it. I loved research. I loved the lab. I loved trying to outsmart Mother Nature, which didn't, usually didn't work. So I've got a really good academic background for sure. However, I want to assure you, you don't need to do that. I just like to wander around and explore new things, get them started, try to grow up a cadre of people that could take them over and keep it all going and go on to the next challenge. I just, in case anyone who's listening that wasn't paying attention to that, I just need to highlight something. Ruth started off with a degree in nutrition a master's in nutrition and a PhD in nutrition, and then did a master's in genetics and a PhD. So you've got two masters, one in nutrition genetics and two PhDs, right? So there should be a way of writing that like after your name, which would be like master's to the power of two and PhD to the power of two. Like I have never met anyone who has done that. Well, you know, another way of looking at it is how slow can you be? You know, how many, how long do you have to stay in school to be able to? How many years did you stay in school? Is this like, it's insane. I mean, I thought I was in school for a long time. But tell me what. I mean, it's totally extraordinary. I mean, it's beyond extraordinary. And I want want to say it again, especially at a time where there was no conversation. And I mean, no conversation about nutrition and genetics. Who were you talking to? Who was supporting you? Who was inspiring you? We were so siloed. So the nutrition people certainly didn't talk to the genetics people, and the genetics people barely talked to medicine or even biology. They're just uh, at that point, genetics was really starting to explode, and very quickly we had the biotech industry um, rose up. Um, and I was just lucky, and I was able to put together a research program that is now what's called epigenetics, and that was the ability to manipulate the genes 
and then feed the organism using a model system that you could actually grow pretty rapidly in the laboratory that was a eukaryotic cell, so a prototype essentially of the human cell, and look at the way the organism's physiological function changes as you change something as simple as their diet. And it's not that simple. If you don't provide all of the nutrients that are needed, then you have trouble, then you have disease. Um, and so it was just a fascinating time. And we just had a wonderful, the genetics group was just phenomenal, very smart people helping each other and um, just very open to different ideas and came to see nutrition very differently than they had ever thought. So it was a very supportive environment the whole time I was in there. So I left and ultimately graduated, finally. And um, I actually picked up some really useful techniques and some experiences along the way within academic. So anyway, that's another story. But we ended up getting a medical school at Florida State University during the time that I was there. So at that time, it was biotech time where it was brand new. Genentech was there and a couple of other companies and just the whole concept was all about monoclonal antibodies and DNA testing. So I ultimately, you know, I like detours, obviously. So um, when the biotech industry really began to explode, then I had the opportunity to participate in developing a couple of startup biotech companies, one with monoclonal antibodies, one with um, DNA fingerprinting, essentially. And I guess I'm used to hearing that that can't be done. And I'm not actually a person that's so super confident that if I think it can be done, of course, it's possible. Um, there was a lot of soul searching and thinking, oh, wow, maybe this never will work, sort of thing. But you just have to plow through it, give it your best shot, and um, use your best thinking and draw from the wonderful people, colleagues around you and then make something happen. And so we were able to, and we, it was certainly not all me by any means. I was simply a part of the group. One of them was my husband's lab and his graduate students that primarily had uh, done the monoclonal antibody work. I happened to be good at organizing and managing and lab work and research and etc. So we put it all together and uh, we were able to do the impossible, which was to make monoclonal antibodies against small toxic molecules so that you could, at that time, super fun was a big deal. So you could be out in the field testing for these very toxic chemicals at a time when the big machinery was digging up the dirt and trying to get down far enough that it was clean. And what happens is you take soil samples and you send them off to a lab and all of this expensive equipment sitting in the field for days waiting for the lab to get back. So what we were able to do is a credit card size test right on site that would tell you whether the soil was clean beyond below the level of what the EPA felt was a dangerous toxic level. So that was the first thing. And then that gave me the ability to move on to DNA fingerprinting. And I did that not for people, actually, but for purebred horses, which are very expensive. And people buy them and spend a lot of money. And there was no way to check that they actually had the pedigrees that they said that they had. 
So um, did that. And in that process, of course, then we started having a DNA fingerprinting show up in the courtroom. So I had an opportunity to learn how to be a consultant for teach judges enough genetics to be able to to run a courtroom and the attorneys and whatnot and forensic departments and um, be able to help them set up their labs. So that was a really and I loved it. I found that I loved being my own boss. I loved working from home, which I've done now for 30 or 40 years, I think. Absolutely love it. So it started two things. I went back to my clinical nutrition roots and was able to work with a gastroenterology practice to do the genetics for them in, in terms of some of the really you know, how do you say it when the genes are so strong that if you have it, then you're going to, to get uh, the SNPs? High impact, high yeah. penetrance, yeah. yeah. Very highly yeah. penetrating. But yeah. So that was fine. And um, I agreed to go only if they let me bring nutrition. Oh, okay, okay. Nutrition doesn't have anything to do with, I mean, gastrointestinal and digestive diseases. Nutrition got to do with guts. I mean, really. Yeah. That's all right. So that was a really a fun period. So then we start with functional medicine. We're able to do what we would probably think are some really simple things, elimination diets and heal the gut and get to root cause of blah, blah, blah. And these patients started getting better, which gets the physician's attention. So what in the world are you doing? And can I do this? And I said, absolutely, but let's talk about a collaborative care team where we can teach some of the other members of your team to do at least some of it so that you don't have to carry the whole burden. And uh, that worked really well. So that whole process just gave me business experience, It gave, which included failing, I have to say. You know, you just fail your way to success. And, oh, I love that. Is that the truth? Yes. <laughs> Right? Have you been there too, I'm sure? Oh my gosh, yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Because anyone who was sitting here listening to you, and hopefully there'll be many listening to you, would be like, you're like a superwoman. Like you're an absolute, you know, I feel completely intimidated and I'm a friend of yours. Like, tell us about... Listen to you. Yeah. But like... And we know a fabulous husband who had plowed... Some of this ground himself and never knew failure, even though he failed his way to the top. Then he just, everything was possible, you know, very positive. I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about it. And I was thinking because of, of my career. And that was yeah. really, really helpful. And, you know, we always, both of us had large labs where you're surrounded with inventive people who worked hard, played hard. It was just a wonderful environment. <laughs> an inventor right gibson inventor so you were surrounded by this atmosphere of possibility and potential right this was part of your home culture that anything was possible i know you had a barn in the garden was it a barn that was like a lab a home lab to go and invent things if i remember correctly yeah 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 yeah. so so do you think that played a big role of just being in a in an environment where you both would have conversations with dinner around Oh, absolutely. It was so nice to have a partner who understood and who could talk biochemical pathways and whatnot. But, you know, all of us have resources, maybe not, not those particular ones, but if we'll just reach out and be willing to look foolish and just keep at it. If you know you're basically on the right track and you just don't know how to do this or don't know if 
this will work. Try to surround your people, yourself with people who can help you and you'll help them back. And it's just such a fruitful environment all the way around. Well, share with us one failure, one failure and what you learned from it, something that's at any time in your career that really didn't work out and what you kind of got out of it. One of my big failures was a stupid business mistake, actually. So in the early days when nobody knew anything about genetics or setting up the forensic labs and in terms of DNA fingerprinting type of work, I was very busy teaching this one and that one in this lab and the FBI got in on it. And then next thing you know, the FBI has is giving it all away for free. I'm like, ah, <laughs> that wasn't very good for my business. But <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> that was a little bit out of your control. So it's interesting, you know, I think what's extraordinary about your career is you come from so deeply in academia with kind of academic rigor and training and many years. Then you go into a kind of entrepreneurial environment, mm -hmm. which is not natural. Like most people who are happy in academia aren't normally entrepreneurs. But what is also interesting to me is the concept of translation. So all the work that I've worked with you on and continue to work with you on is in the space of clinical translation is how do we create value to the end user, the consumer, the client, the patient from what we've understood in science. Now, that probably encapsulates your career beautifully, like starting off in this deep, committed academic environment and finding yourself having that greatest impact actually in how the science is translated. I just have a really big heart. And at the end of the day, to me, it's all about applying. I love practical applications. I love the theory. It's a, it's a nice mental exercise. But unless I can translate it into something that's going to help a patient, I don't feel like I've finished the job. So I've always wanted to translate. And even now working with the uh, med students and residents, it's about taking all of this, connecting the dots for them, because they've had all this wonderful background, but very seldom is it ever connected anything practical. And that's not a good statement at all. That's not true at all. But in terms very practical of, acute care. I love yeah. teaching them how, why do we study the Krebs cycle and the this and the that? Here's how it's all connected. And here's, if you get to root cause, you can put all this together into, you've got a target now to shoot at, and you can put your therapy together in a way that has a very high potential of working. Um, and so they learn critical thinking, and they learn to use the tools that they have and to ask, what if, what if, what if I could do this? Not going to hurt the patient. And it has a very good chance of working. I know it's not standard of care, but we're already covering that. And now we're going to ask, can we enhance standard of care with something else, such as not just nutrition, but other lifestyle medicine modalities? These are very strong levers for epigenetically changing gene expression. So it's not all about your genes and what's in your genes, that information. It's about its expression and food, sleep, exercise, stress, relationships, all 
funnel into the expression of those genes. It's a very powerful. This is a study of epigenetics. And it's, you'll see it's going to be very powerful and it's going to give us new tools that will help people protect their health. And for those who already have diseases, particularly so many of the chronic diseases that are plaguing us now, we'll be able to have some everyday measures that they can use themselves to improve their health and well-being. And that's so satisfying. It is. So I was looking back the other day at my work of the what it last 20, 25 years, and I was thinking about how the first like 10, 15 years, I was kind of in the mindset of genetic variants and SNPs and kind of sequence and, you know, which is great and useful and insightful and just built a business on it. So I guess hope it's useful. But actually, the really exciting thing for me was the epiphany of six, seven years ago now of epigenetics and of gene expression or gene behavior, whatever you want to call it. So I realized that I'd built most of my understanding of genetics on half the equation and I was missing this incredible equation. Actually, when I started out in, in dietetics and had my deep disappointment when I realized that they weren't using food to heal, it was because I didn't understand this concept of epigenetics that we can use nutrition to change gene expression and then food becomes medicine. And so for me, it took me a while, but I got there and it changed everything. It changed. I don't know that I would have stayed in the industry if I hadn't discovered that incredible power. That's, that's what we were all looking for is the power of nutrition, which we always kind of knew but didn't understand, lives in the space of using nutrition or supplements or lifestyle intervention to change gene expression. And then we really become powerful. But Ruth, I want to go back to just a piece that we've left out because we're talking about now where you're working with medical um, students to bring functional kind of root cause analysis training in to put together, you know, all that. But let's talk about the dietitians because you're an RD like, like me and we both have understood the limitations of the way that dietetics has been taught and practiced in the past. And you have played a huge role in the dietetic space. And in fact, were one of the founders of DIFM, Dietitians and Integrative Functional Nutrition, which I kind of have a sense is what you're doing now with kind of medical doctors, attempting them to understand how to put it together, was what you were attempting to do with dietetics. Tell us a little bit about that time, what your successes were, and perhaps the frustrations that you still have in that space. I really had the vision. I thought this was a, an obvious extension of dietetics. And for any nutrition professional, certainly the registered dietitian is well-trained. That, But there are other really yeah. good nutrition professionals that may not have gone the RD route. Right. And I thought what I was seeing in my work with dietitians and it just clinical nutrition and interfacing with dietitians all the time, that they were trained well beyond what they were able to use and do in practice. I mean, we used to have to have the doctor write the order for a diet. Can you imagine? For a dietitian? Yeah. I mean, well, and I, think, supplements. I, I mean, I still hear horrible but that's where like we, we yeah. were. And so I thought, oh, this is such a shame. There are some really, really bright lights that I've come across that for one reason or another did not, couldn't go to med school. I've had children and it just wasn't good timing. And they were hungry to use their brain in a patient care 
tools much more effectively than they were doing. So to me, they were the obvious group to pick up nutritional genomics and really become experts at that. And at that time, we were really pushing the concept of uh, take the burden off the physician, let him do him or her, do what they do best, and then have some competent support staff, professional staff under them that reported to them ultimately, but who could really be colleagues with them. And that this was an important area that was going to be needed. Understand that the future of medicine is impersonalization. And to do that, you're going to have to have insight into the genes. You're going to have to understand epigenetics and how to manipulate the expression of those genes. And to my sense, the uh, dietitian nutrition professional was the most obvious one to do that. Unfortunately, for all sorts of reasons, the field has moved very slowly. You and I have talked about since we were together at Siona, there hasn't been a whole lot of progress in the science. And that's 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I didn't expect it to be quite that slow, but there was not the base of nutrition research needed to support the applications as quickly as we would have liked to have seen that happen. So, and there weren't training programs. To, so did we stop? And also, why, why do you think it's been so slow? I mean, it's been... Like, I don't know how else to describe it. I really want to do this, but I have no idea where do I go to get trained. And there just wasn't any place. And so you tried to do it in your spare time as a kind of gift to the field, a contribution kind of thing. You can't sustain that and run a business or practice. So we needed training programs. Now, we had a success with the um, University of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey, part of the Rutgers system, who was prescient enough to see the need for a graduate level course in nutritional genomics that I set up initially and Yale very confidently took over and expanded it from there. But that's just a drop of the bucket in what we need. And And you have to do a whole master's degree to get one module in nutritional genomics, which just doesn't seem fair. Yeah. So, and what we're doing now, though, however, isn't teaching physicians how to be nutrition professionals, but to have them understand enough of the basics to understand the value of nutrition and the fact that they need, and we don't even have dietitians or nutrition professionals as normal members of the healthcare team. We're still, and I think the American Dietetic Association at that time, it's now the Academy of Nutrition mm-hmm. and Dietetics, was very busy with their limited resources to be able to get nutrition paid for, reimbursed, um, which was a huge uphill lift. And they have been successful at that. And it was compromised, I think, too, with an awful lot of people that jumped into the nutritional genomics, genetic testing space that didn't do a particularly good job. That did not help. So you were left with only a handful of SNPs that you could test for that really had practical applications. So again, it just takes a long... And this is very typical for any new technology, is uh, any new business. You've got this shakeout period where you try this, try that, to the best of your thinking, and back up and try again. Yeah. That, that, I'm encourage people that it's not too late. Yeah. 
I mean, there are people who are like, oh, you know, that's already out there. I can never get into there. There is so much need for people that can read the literature and glean good ideas from it in terms of practical applications. And he's already a good nutrition professional and knows how to handle the various chronic diseases that are just flooding the clinics. It's it's way more than the poor physician can handle. So to be able to offer competent assistance is huge. What I was going to say is that I always feel like our Ruth's relay team, the running team, um, okay, Ruth runs ahead and then she passes me back the baton. And then I keep running. So, you know, it, you're doing it, a fabulous job. You got more energy than I do. I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, Ruth. I have the energy that you have and is working as hard as you are in a couple of years' time. But, but so it's like, you too has such yeah. an enormous impact. I can't tell you. These patients get better. We have done amazing things with functional medicine and with the addition of genetics that people think can't be done. You know, once you have X chronic disease, all you could do is just at best manage it. Not true. You can actually Not restore true. health in many yeah. cases. And it's Yeah, I mean it seems really, like we're in a better place now than we were certainly twenty years ago. And people are certainly paying attention more and we are surrounded by amazing colleagues, but also practitioners who are on board. And I mean we in the early days, it was just like you and me talking to each other and Colleen Doggerty and saying, oh, there's three dietitians talking about genetics. So we've come a huge, huge way in the last two decades. And as I say, like I hung in in, in nutrition gen- in genomics, lifestyle genomics, and you tackling now um, getting functional medicine, functional nutrition into the medical care system and training practitioners, which is obviously I don't know anyone else who would have looked at that and said, oh, that's possible. And you're doing it and it's having brilliant outcomes and, you know, you're in the system. And I don't know anyone else who could have done that. But I still feel like it's just so much, like so much work to do. So, which we could talk about for hours, but I I don't want to take too much of my time. But perhaps with your amazing experience, expertise, understanding of this full scope from academia and entrepreneurship, translation, clinical practice, back again into teaching, like full circle, right? And what is the message that you would give out to any practitioner, multidisciplinary, doesn't matter what the undergrad is, like, because I do want to say that you don't need two PhDs and two master's degrees. I think I just want to emphasize that. I mean, Ruth is quite extraordinary in that way, but you really don't. So what is the advice that you would give to someone to to get in the door so that they'll pay attention to you? And then you have to be able to deliver on what you're saying. But something I wanted before we do that is just remember how science works. None of us is going to discover the secret to anything. It's a big puzzle and each of us contributes the best we can to some piece of that puzzle. And it may be well after we're gone before it all comes together in some areas, but you know, have fun doing it. And do it well, and you'll feel just great about the contribution that you've made. When you see a patient who's got their life back, it's worth everything. So the other thing I would leave with you is that it's not too late. There's plenty of space here. There's plenty of space for nutrition professionals that are really sharp, caring professionals who can manage other nutrition professionals teach them how to use genomics. I mean, Yale's doing a wonderful 
job at that, starting with her South African group, is teaching them how to integrate genomics and epigenetics into nutrition practice. That was 10 years ago, and now look at us. So, we, And I think that's exactly it. You know, I had a clinic with like three dietitians and one functional MD and like two consulting rooms, and that's all I had. And, you know, now we have thousands of practitioners and huge community and lots of educational programs. And I think the thing that maybe Ruth and I do have in common is it's just keep moving forward. Like, you just do something. Just do something. Like, you don't need all the answers. You actually really don't need all the answers. No, and you don't need any big hoopla. Take the no. next logical step. Yeah. And things have a way of... The next one. Yeah. I think that sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. But then then every now and again, you know, it's ten steps forward. And I think that's been our journey. And I think, you know, tenacity, hard work, some boldness, and certainly some courage. Your colleagues, call on your colleagues for support. They have their bad days too. You know, nothing looks like it was going to ever work again. And it's not true. Um, And they may have a perspective on it that you've not even thought about that would break it all open for you. Plus, we all need emotional support always. So it's just very surround yourself with good people. And uh, and now, I mean, we're as close as phone call or Zoom. I mean, it's just amazing. Or an email or a a message. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I would say, you know, if there's someone on your horizon, like the roof was up in mind, like pull them up, reach out, ask for help. Like most people in this industry would be very open to helping and supporting and mentoring. And I think, you know, we feel they're not, but they really are. And, you know, I would really encourage everyone, if there's someone in your life who you think you can learn something, reach out to them and maybe have a list of three until you get to the one who's got time. But you'd be amazed how willing they are to work with you and support you and mentor you. And I think that's how we move forward. I always feel my like my career has been like moving forward, like both standing the shoulders of others and how it says it. But every like I've grown in steps. It was Ruth, it was Roslyn, Christine, and like all these people who have kind of pulled me forward. And then I kind of they fling me forward and then I get onto the next one. And and that's it's about, you know, Brilliant. I love that. It is about colleagues. It's about mentorship. I think our history has shown that beautifully, you know, how we kind of in parallel, but kind of facing forward have been trying to break down some of these things. And I, I totally agree with you. I think nutrition has never been in a more powerful place now that we understand epigenetics. And if you're a nutrition professional or you're a professional, a health professional with a bit of nutrition, I do think that the next decade, you're going to see nutrition become more and more powerful. And it's really up to those practitioners who understand yes. that to stand up. You know, you see, we see the, what looks like overnight success. There's just really no such thing. Normal. There's no such thing. <laughs> For most of us, it's been step by step by a couple forward, a lot backward. Just keep at it. But the other cliche, right? The harder I work, the luckier I get. So Ruth is one of those individuals. Start somewhere and start developing. If you're interested in the health of the future, you need a foundation in genomics, epigenetics, and functional or lifestyle medicine. Um, So we can change this conversation to health focus, not, I mean, our population, I think the pandemic 
has really brought that to the forefront of how unhealthy we are. Well, what a wonderful, I don't know if that was a high note to finish on, but <laughs> but it certainly shows that we have a lot of work still to do. And we're looking forward to a whole lot of... Never run out of things to do. We'll never run out of things to do, Ruth. We'll we'll be there on our Zimmer friends going, we're going, look what we found. So um, thank you, Ruth. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your story. As I said, I I understood little bits of it and didn't know many parts of it, but you continue to inspire me and I will be waiting for that baton at any time that you wish to pass it on, like, oh, I don't want to teach this course anymore. Would you like to take it on? <laughs> um, so I had to pass that baton on. But I you're doing but, what you're doing because we yeah. need solid support out there from a technology standpoint. We will we will continue. Take these next so step. thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ruth Tabas. It's been really wonderful getting to know you a little bit more and know that story and looking forward to many more years of outstanding work. And us breaking through some of those those glass ceilings and bringing nutrition to the fore and genetics, of course. So thank, thank you so you much. Thank you for the privilege of being interviewed. And to all of you listening, please really give some serious thought to the importance of nutrition. And the era ahead is it's going to be huge for the whole nutrition lifestyle. Good luck to everyone. And I hope to see wonderful things happening out there. Thank you. Thanks so much, Ruth. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast, brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash podcast. And if you are a licensed health practitioner who would like to apply to join our network of over 1,000 like-minded visionary practitioners, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash apply.